0: Right, good morning. Let's go ahead and, and get started this morning. Welcome to each one of you here this morning. In way of announcements, I'll just encourage you, the, the bulletins are, are in the back. Uh, there's also a newsletter back there. It's something new that we're gonna start doing, a, a bi-monthly newsletter. It uh, should be on the table if there's still more of them left. We'll also put that out online through Facebook, so if you just rather have a digital copy of that, you, you could get it online there. Um, but this morning, uh, the the focus of our service this morning is uh, the celebration and and the ordination of these men. We have three men that are are going to be ordained as uh, deacons in our church, and and then one man that is going to be ordained as as a pastor. And uh, that is the focus of our service this morning. And it is really a time of celebration. It, it ought to be, and and I hopefully, as I preach this morning, you will see that that. This ought to be uh, uh, something that we're celebrating as a church. It ought to be something that brings joy to our heart because it is a gift of God's grace. It is a sign of his favor on this church, Union Baptist Church, that God has given us these men. It's it's his blessing to us, and we're going to talk more about that this morning, uh, but but we just want to praise God in that blessing. We, we don't want to receive God's blessings and fail to be grateful in that. Um, I'm reminded of what it says in the book of Psalms that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. And uh, truly uh, this is a blessing of God. This is something that God has done in our congregation. I didn't raise these men up. I didn't gift them. I didn't appoint them. We didn't do that as a church today. We're just recognizing by ordaining them and setting them apart for this ministry, we're recognizing what God has done in their life already. And so what 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 a blessing. I just want to start this morning with our scripture reading in Acts chapter 6. I believe this is the passage that gives us sort of the prototype of what a deacon is. We're ordaining three deacons. So I want to read that for us this morning before we get into the music. It says Acts chapter 6 verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrew because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy spirit and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, and a proselyte of Antioch. They set before the apostles, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God, as a result of this calling deacons, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient. To the faith. So here I think we see the, the example and what deacons are are called to do is serve these physical needs of the church that that must be that must be met and must be fulfilled. And so they play a crucial role in the life of our church. So we want to celebrate that and I'll say more about that and more about Vance and his role as as a pastor. But let's just begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father Lord we do thank you uh, this morning for these men. We're, we're thankful, Lord, that you have chosen to gift us as a church, these men, with all their qualifications, with all their uh, abilities that you have given to them. Lord, we recognize that you receive all the glory and all the praise for this. And, and we pray that that would just be the tenor of, of the service today, that it would be a service that recognizes and sets apart these men, but ultimately gives you the glory because everything that we have comes from you. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I just want to mention uh, uh, several, a uh, couple prayer concerns and then and then one praise this morning. Uh, first of all, we'll start with the praise. We just want to praise God that he was watching over Kelly yesterday. As some of you heard, I'm sure she was in an accident and God protected uh, her. And and we just want to give thanks. There were a couple different things that could have gone differently in that and it made it more severe. So uh, let's not fail to give thanks to God and do so as the psalmist says, in the congregation. Let's, let's praise God for that. Then let's, let's pray for those that are affected by flooding and just pray that God will uh, remove that water. I got um, a picture from my mom this morning sent, and water's in their basement. It's in one of the buildings at their church, just at a low level. Uh, not too much damage so far. Just pray that, that the waters recede uh, quickly, that we don't get any more rain. And then George Gilliland called this morning and asked for prayer. His his brother's going to be having a heart cath this morning and uh, obviously some issues going on there. So let's just uh, pray for these things and lift them up to the Lord. Lord, we come to you this morning and we are grateful, Lord. Thank you for, for watching over our sister, our friend Kelly, and, and protecting her. Lord, we want to give you praise for that. Uh, Lord, we just want to also take a moment and ask you Lord as you protected her and provided in that need that you would do the same in in this flooding situation we pray that you would um, that you would cause these waters to recede that you would not send any more rain uh, to this area just bless those already who are affected by by this water and uh, just watch over protect them give them safety uh, in that we do lift up George and his family to you right now Lord and ask that Uh, everything that the doctors are going this going this morning they would have wisdom and skill that you would bless their hands uh, and we just pray that that whatever's going on would not be serious uh, with his brother be with him and and with
1: Glenda Lord and we pray this in Christ's name amen good morning it's good to see you all with us here today for this glorious occasion and Andrew's said most of what I thought I would say so I guess I'll be a lot briefer but uh I just want to reiterate that this is the culmination of what we've been talking about for over a year uh, in the case with Vance and what we've really been talking about for longer than that with, with some of the deacon positions that we've got. Um, and it is, a, it is a culmination and a joyous culmination. It's a celebration. And so having said the positive, let me, let me state a couple of things sort of on the negative side. And what I mean by that is just let me clarify on the other side of this what ordination is not and then I'll come back again and say something positive about ordination. Ordination is not a sacrament. We believe in two sacraments in the church, if you will, to use that terminology. That's the Lord's Supper and baptism, and that's it. We—that's Those are the only two ordinances or sacraments that we recognize in Baptist life, and this is not a sacrament. It's also not some kind of a conference of grace by the laying on of hands where some magic leaves my body or Andrew's body and imparts it or infuses into these men something that God hasn't already put there. What it is is a recognition that God has gifted certain men and set certain men apart for types of service within the church. One of those offices is pastor and one of those offices is deacon. And so it is a, a glorious thing. It's a solemn thing, but it is not a magical thing or some mystical sort of thing. It is simply a recognition of of what God has already done. We are simply on the end of that process, having already concluded that these men are gifted and qualified and set apart, we are simply setting our seal of approval on them as is fitting as a response from God's people to the selection that God has made. And so uh, I'll read a little bit here from Benjamin Merkel. Uh, You all probably don't know him because I didn't before I read this article. But he says, and I think it's clarifying and helpful, that ordination simply means the public recognition of someone to a particular office of ministry. So we have two, again, to recognize, the office of deacon and the office of pastor. He goes on to add then, and so I'm, I'm kind of, he's speaking more along the lines of pastorally, but I've, I've added in the idea of deacon here as well. Thus to be appointed to the office of pastor, elder, if you will, or deacon implies that a man has met the biblical qualifications. He's been called by God, he's been approved by the congregation, and consequently has been publicly recognized as one who holds that office. It does not necessarily imply that he works full-time for the church or has been to seminary. Rather, it means that God has called and gifted a person to humbly lead and or serve the, the church. That's what ordination is in a nutshell. So today Union Baptist Church is publicly setting some men apart for those two things. To serve, all these men will serve. Some will serve in acts of generosity and kindness and, and physical labor around the church, going and doing tasks. and, and Vance will serve in those ways as well as, as well as laboring in the ministry, laboring in the gospel, laboring in the teaching and preaching ministries of the church. And so today Union Baptist Church gets to publicly set these men apart, for the task to which we recognize God has called them and ordained them and set them apart for. So Vance again will be set apart for pastoral ministry. And then Bobby and Jim and Mike will be set apart to serve as deacons. So how do we recognize men that are fit for these offices? Well, first of all, scripture describes the moral character that they must meet and, and, and possess. And so without preaching a sermon on that and going into that, we know that, that Timothy deals with that, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, and we know that Titus deals with some of the qualifications for men who would serve in the church, so we turn to Scripture, and that's where we have turned, and it's where we've we've uh, exhorted you all to turn to over this process is to go to your Scriptures, and Andrew has preached to that end at times. We have talked about those things, and we have prompted this with, with the congregation, and we trust that you all have done your part in obedience to God, and that you have vetted these men according to scriptural qualifications and, and we that's we hold no other standard really than that. The second thing though that we recognize when we're looking for men fit to serve in these offices is giftedness. There is a gifting that must accompany if if a guy only has a call and no no ability to perform, then you have to you have to say at least, well maybe now's not the right time. So we look for the, the scriptural qualifications, we look for the gifts that cause God gifts each person in various ways for service. Every one of you all Just to to let you know, every one of you all have been gifted for service in this church as well. Maybe not as deacon, maybe not as pastor, but you have been given gifts by the Spirit of God at your conversion for the service and strengthening of this church as well. And all we're saying is, is that in their case, these gifts are more prominently seen and and God has called them to serve in a more visible sort of way. Thirdly, when we recognize the, the fitness for this office, we recognize that God also not only gives them the moral standing that they need, he supplies them with the gifting that they need, but he also changes something within their heart where they have a desire to serve in this capacity. So if you don't want to be a deacon, you're not called to be a deacon. If you don't want to be a pastor, you're not called to be a pastor. And no one in this room has the authority to tell you, the Lord told me to tell you that you should be a deacon. I don't believe that's true. I believe the Lord will tell you if you need to be a deacon, and the Lord will tell you if you need to be a pastor, and you will agree to that, because the third thing I believe that is important is that there is a desire. If any man aspires to this office, it's a noble thing. And so these are things that we look for in those men who seek to serve the church. So how did we evaluate these men for service? How did we get to today? Well, in a few ways, and I'll try to be brief here. Honestly, Bobby and Jim have served as unrecognized deacons for a long time in this church, so that's kind of a, I I don't want to sound silly, but that's sort of a no-brainer. These two men have committed themselves to serve this church in, in ways for years that we're just now getting to the point of recognizing, and so they've been doing the work of a deacon without the title for a long time, so uh, we, we know them, we love them, we, we fellowship with them, we hear their heart in community groups and in Sunday school classes and in conversations, we know their character. We have gotten to know them. And we are convinced that they love the Lord and that they love this body. And, and uh, we're thankful to God for them. So through many acts of love and service to this body, we have evaluated that those two men are uh, especially fit and ready. And with Dad, it's not been the case. He's not been here as long. But knowing Dad, getting to know him here in his heart, seeing the, the giftedness that God has given him, and evaluating him according to Scripture as well. We believe that that he is fit for for service in this church in the role of a deacon. With Vance in particular, we've spent a year in uh, officially uh, pursuing this. Like Vance submitted himself a a long time ago. I don't even know, honestly, the first time he, I think he approached Andrew and just said, hey, you know, I feel some inklings toward ministry and, and a call of God. And so they started talking and then, a year ago, we made it more official and said, okay, so we really need a process and a procedure. So what we did with in Vance's case is we started meeting regularly. Once a month, we would meet for about three hours on Saturdays, and uh, we tied him to a chair and really drilled him. <laughs> it probably felt like that at times. But what we did is we walked through some doctrinal statements, some things that are important to believe if you're going to serve in a in a lead role, preaching and teaching Uh, in this church and so we walked through uh, like the biblical statement of of the statement on biblical inerrancy we we walked through the statement about manhood and womanhood from a biblical perspective we walked through uh, parts of the the london baptist confession of faith and then we walked through the baptist faith and message and we made sure that what vance believes and holds to and will proclaim in sunday school and in the pulpit is in line with what we believe and teach and proclaim from this pulpit already it would be a disaster if we allowed him to come in in that role and he had a different vision and a different gospel or a different slant on some things that we believe and hold dear. So we have spent time testing and checking and, and observing him and, and listening to him teach and, and questioning him about doctrinal matters. And, and so that's how we've gotten to where we're at. And did we do a perfect job? No, we didn't. Just ask Vance. But we did what we knew to do and what we could do with the grace that we've been given. And by the grace of God, we're more prepared to do it with the next candidate, if God so blesses us. So when we get to this issue, we're going to come to you in just a few minutes where you see us laying our hands on these men. What's what's up with that? What's the laying on of hands? And uh, some of you all have had your hands hands laid on you in a way that you didn't really appreciate. Uh, I've been there before, too. Uh, but that's not what we're doing here. There is biblical warrant, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a beautiful image that we're portraying here. And Andrew's already shared one of the passages, but uh, Acts 13.3 is, is one verse that we could turn to, and it just says, uh, con- considering Paul and Barnabas uh, in Antioch, and they're being set apart for ministry, it says, then after fasting and praying, they, that is the church at Antioch, laid their hands on them and sent them off. Another passage is, in, is what Andrew read there in Acts chapter 6. And, and I'll just start uh, with verse 6, I believe it is. It says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the, and, and the word of God, this is the, the result of that. This is what God does when we recognize gifted people. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's what we expect that God will do when we as a church recognize gifted people and put them in positions to serve where God has gifted them for. It's not just because we want them to be honored. We do want that, but we want God to be honored and we want the church to be strengthened. And this verse tells me, verse 7, that when the church does its part in recognizing leadership within its ranks, then God does his part and he brings blessing. That wasn't there before it's not that God wants to withhold but there is a there is a means of grace and this is one of them in in a sense that when we appoint men to serve in ways they're gifted for God pours out more grace on a church that does those things secondly uh, well that's that's really it so um, I'll just leave it at that I think I've gone too long so we will be laying hands on them it is uh, it is just a sign that we are commissioning them into the ministry. We're recognizing them publicly. And again, it's not its not an, uh, infusing of any kind of grace. God has already done the work. We are simply recognizing that and outwardly saying that we are putting our seal of approval on these men to serve in these in these ways. So I'd like to have them come now at this time. Vance and Bobby and Mike and Jim, would you come forward?
0: As they're coming, y'all can go ahead and be seated there. I just want to say a word uh, about these men. They are men that I'm thankful for personally, um, each one of these men, I think, you know, Jared shared uh, about Vance. He said, I'm not sure when he first uh, kind of spoke up about this call into ministry, and I could tell pretty early on. In fact, it was when I came here and and uh, preached the, the, a sermon in view of, of being your pastor here. Uh, Vance cornered me that day with talking to me about scripture and studying the Word and then as soon as I came, I mean, he was diving into, uh, just programs that he had found to try to educate himself and learn more about scripture. Uh, and, and you could sense pre- pretty, early on that he's headed in this direction, right? That's not normal. <laughs> normal people don't do that kind of stuff, but, uh, <laughs> he, he had a hunger for it and he, he, he desired to know God's word so that he could faithfully teach and disciple other people. And, uh, and that—that's really what we do as a church. We recognize that, and we—we we see that God's calling him in this—in this way. And uh, it was later on that we, as we walked through that process, and I would meet with him, and we would talk. He would study on his own, and then now he's at actually taking classes at, at Midwestern uh, Baptist Seminary, and and so continuing that to to be faithful. And, and I'm just thankful for the burden, the, the the hunger, and the desire that God has placed in his heart to know the Word, because. Pastors, their primary function is to teach and disciple in the word of God. And it's it's got to be a person that loves the word of God, that wants to study the word of God and and delights, that takes joy in sharing that with, with others. And so um, thankful for Vance. Uh, Jim was a man that, as, as Jared said, has already been serving in that role as a deacon. Jim is somebody that just shows up when something needs to get done. He he does it. I, I mean, there's times that I'll ask him and and nine times out of 10 things are done before I even ask. He's he's here. And uh, Mike, I'm thankful for him and his Mike is is serious. He's straightforward. And uh, he's somebody. I, here's the way I feel about Mike. I don't want to be on the wrong side of Mike. But I feel like if I'm doing the right thing, I'm always going to be on the right side of Mike because Mike's going to seek to, to do and stand for what's right. And so I'm thankful that God has added them to our church body and, and uh, that he's a faithful brother and willing to serve. I've seen him willingly step in and, and help people in need and serve in that way. Uh, and then Bobby is a man that early on when we first got here, you know, uh, when you come to a new community as, as a pastor you know a lot of people I guess they don't think about it or maybe they do I don't know but but I mean you're leaving family you're you're on your own and you've got 120 people and but you don't really know anybody and Bobby and and Kelly really more Kelly but you know Bobby was uh they they befriended us and 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 became I want to say they were like parents to us but they're not quite old enough maybe to be parents but uh (laughs) an older brother and sister and uh just extended to us friendship and have continued to to do so and that's been just a great encouragement to to me as a pastor so i'm thankful for for each of these men and uh just wanted to give a word of of testimony and thankfulness for them and so at this time what i'm going to do is invite our ordained men our our deacons and others to come forward and we're going to pray over these men and what I want to encourage you to do as a congregation is just spend this time in prayer asking God to bless uh, the ministry of these men as they are concluding their prayers that I'm I'm just going to invite our congregation any members if you would like to come up uh, and not only welcome you I encourage you to come forward and we're going to pray over all of these men and I just like to invite you to come up and and join us in that you can go ahead and do that now the Lord so lead you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these men. They are indeed gifts that you've given to this church. We praise you and thank you for them. And and Lord, we do want to publicly just uh, intercede on their behalf. We pray, Lord, that as they step into these roles of service, Lord, we, we pray that you would keep them faithful in this, Lord. We know that it is you that always sustains us. And so we pray that you would sustain these men in, in each individual ministry. Lord, we, we know also that these gifts that we haven't have, uh, they don't come with the power to do them. So we know that it's your spirit that energizes us and that gives us the strength and the power to carry out uh, these roles of service. So I pray for your spirit to be upon these men, that the, the spirit of uh, that your spirit would would. Uh, just empower them to carry out these roles that you've given to each one of them protect their families lord protect them as no doubt when they step into this visible role uh, within the church that satan will come against them so we ask for your protection to be placed around each one of them lord just bless us we pray in christ's name amen y'all can go back if you'd like unless you want to Sit up there in front of everybody the whole time, which I don't think you do. So I tried to organize it so that you all would be up here the least amount of time as possible. Uh, take your Bibles this morning if our children, I think, can head out at this time for Children's Church. And I just want to take some, some time to look at God's Word uh, this morning. And uh, so take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the title of the sermon this morning is Two offices, one vision. We're ordaining two offices here, deacons and, and a pastor. There's two offices that, w- that we're ordaining this morning, but there's one vision. There's one goal that we are working toward. So Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning at verse number 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. so that it builds itself up in love. And one way this sermon this morning uh, will be sort of a continuation of of what we've been looking at as we've been talking about our our vision for the church. Union Baptist Church exists to glorify God by growing disciples in community. This morning, what I want us to see is just how these two offices that we serve, that, that we're ordaining this morning, that they both serve in different ways, that one main goal. And so two offices, one vision. I just want to walk quickly through this passage with you this morning. And so look at verse 3. The, the first thing in sort of the context of this is that Paul is, is giving this church at Ephesus, he's giving them a call to be unified. That's, that's the theme throughout this fourth chapter. He wants them to be unified as a church. He does not want them to be divided. And so in verse 3, he tells them that he wants them to be eager to maintain unity. He wants them to be eager to maintain unity unity he understood that this task of of making disciples this task of taking the gospel around the world and this task of growing people up in in their faith is a task that requires a unified church church if we're going to carry out our vision we have to be unified we we can't be going in a hundred different directions we can't be fraught with with friction and and infighting if we're going to be If we're going to be good at doing what God wants us to do, that is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul understands that and so he calls for the church to be unified. He wants them, uh, he doesn't just say be unified, he says be eager to maintain unity. You see, unity is something you have to work at. Uh, if you just let things go there's not unity if you just act as you want to act if you just let everything head in the direction that you want it to head there will be division and fighting it takes work it takes effort to maintain unity you have to maintain it and so he doesn't want them to even just maintain it he says I want you to be eager to maintain unity Look, look, I want you to be serious. This this means I want you to be vigilant about keeping unity in the body of Christ. You've got to work at it, and it isn't just something you can work at a little bit here and there. If you want to be unified as a church, you have to be eager to maintain unity. What I see in the church all too often, not just this church, but the church at large, is that we're eager to cause division, it seems like. We're eager. We're, We're so easily offended uh, something comes up and we're just ready to blow everything up because we have no concern about keeping the body of Christ unified. But but church, we are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What is the source of this unity? I'll run through this quickly. This is not the the main point, but what is the source of unity? How do we have unity in, in the church? Well, he says be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in verse Three In verse 4, he says, for there is one Spirit. And so I think what he's pointing to here is the reality that we as believers in Jesus Christ are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to be our guide throughout life. And so he's giving us guidance and direction as we go. So just think about that. If the Spirit of God is indwelling you and the Spirit of God is indwelling the person on the pew next to you, don't you think that if you're following the direction of that spirit, that he's going to be leading you in the same direction? Right? Hey, well, I, I don't understand that churches where everybody's going in the other direction, in opposite direction, then there's friction and there's fighting and there are problems. That doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. The Spirit of God is leading me, and if He's leading me and He's leading you, we're going to be going in the same direction. We're going to have the same passions, the same desires, the same concerns. So there's one spirit. There's one body. We're all united in Jesus Christ here, Union Baptist Church. We are one body. A body. It's like Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. A body divided cannot stand. If we are all part of one body of Jesus Christ, we cannot be divided. A, a body in, in which parts of the body are fighting against itself is a, is a body that is, there's a problem there. It's, it's a fatal problem. It's a cancerous problem. And so in, in a church, we are to be united all in one direction we are one body but in verse 4 not only are we one body but we're also we have one hope we have one hope that is our final salvation the the inheritance that the spirit bears witness to us that we will have we see that in Ephesians 1:13 and 14 that the the spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance we're all headed here if you're there this morning your faith is in Jesus Christ you have the same hope that I have we're going to the same place our hope isn't in Democrats or Republicans. So those things shouldn't divide us, right? Because that's not where our hope is. Our hope is that we've got an inheritance, that one day that we are going to receive that inheritance. And so we ought to be unified because there's one inheritance, one hope. There's also one Lord. One Lord, he says in verse 5. That ought to bring unity. That Lord that he's referring to is Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 23, for one is your master, even the Christ. He's our master. And if I'm serving my master and you're serving your master and there's one master, that master is going to be directing us in the same way, right? Uh, Employers, your, your boss at your work doesn't tell you to go do this and and do this job, and then send somebody right behind you and say, go undo everything that he's doing. Now, maybe sometimes you might work with somebody. I, I know, okay? There are some bosses, it seems like that's what they're doing. Ordinarily, that doesn't make sense, though, right? And so, so it is with our Lord, with our master. Our, our, the, the one who's ruling over our life is the Christ. And so if you're obeying Christ, your master, and I'm obeying Christ, my master, there ought to be unity. There is one Lord. There's one faith, he says in verse 5. There's one faith. Here is the word faith. is not used about my personal subjective uh, belief in God. It, he's talking about the faith, the, the body of doctrine that we believe. Jared talked about how we examined Vance, and part of that is because there's one faith. There's one faith. We believe in a triune God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent to die on the cross for our sins that through him is the only way of salvation. We believe that the the, the Bible is the word of God, the very word of God, that the words are inspired, that they are breathed out by God and that they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and for instruction in righteousness. We believe that. We want to make sure that Vance believes that one faith and, and praise God. Uh, I think that he does and so we ought to be united though that ought to be the case for everyone here that is a member who's united to Union Baptist Church we have a common faith does that mean that we all think alike on everything in life no does that mean that there aren't certain doctrinal issues that we might disagree on? But no, no, there are some secondary matters that we might have differing opinions on. But when it comes to the fundamentals of the faith, when it comes to the core of Christianity, we are to be united. And if we are united, if we are of one faith, it ought to bring unity in the church. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Baptism is, is the symbol that, that points to this reality that has occurred in us, that we have died to our sins and that we have been infused with new resurrection life from our Lord Jesus Christ. We have experienced that. And so we we go into the waters of baptism as a symbol to say, this has happened to me. And if we have shared that experience, it ought to draw us together. I think I've used this before, but but powerful experiences draw people together. All you've got to do is see people who, you know, older, the older generation, maybe some people that had been through the same war, right? You're, you were in World War II? Yeah, I was too. Instantly, they don't even know each other. They're drawn together because they share this powerful experience, right? And that's the way it is in terms of our conversion, the fact that we've died to our sins, that, that Christ has given us new resurrection life. That drives us, drives us together. There's one baptism, and there's one God and Father, we all have one father that's why we call each other brothers and sisters because we have one father we're we're family like it or not there are some things that your family does that, that you don't like there are some things that they say that you don't care for but we're family and our father doesn't want us to be estranged from each other the fact that we have one father means that we ought to be brought together in unity the depth and the richness of these things is so great that it ought to draw, draw us together. And when we are divided as a church, what it really says is that it says we care more about whatever this petty little thing it is than this one Lord, this one faith, this one baptism, this, this one God and father over all things. We're saying I care more about the color of the carpet than I care about this one faith. That's just crazy, right? We we should not allow these things to divide us. But now we get, I I think I did pretty good. I'm going to give myself a pat on the back for running through that so quickly. Now we get to what what we want to see is that there's actually diversity within that unity. There's diversity within that unity. And so we see in verse 7, it begins with, but. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, but. Now he's going to contrast that. There's, there's something that is diverse. There's, there's unity. There's all this unity around the faith, but then there is something that gives us diversity. But grace was given to each one of us. And the grace that you received is different in some respects than the grace that I received. And the, the, re, the grace that Bobby received is, is different than the grace that Vance received and, and so on. We have all received a unique portion of God's grace but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift and then it goes on in the next couple verses to to explain and talk about the ascension the resurrection and the ascension and how that was crucial and, and the outpouring as as Christ rose from the grave and ascended into heaven he poured these gifts out but he didn't give everybody the exact same gift he gave various gifts and so there's diversity in the body of Christ There are deacons and there are pastors, there are Sunday school teachers, there are people who love to serve, there are people who love to teach, there are people who love to do evangelism and outreach, there are people who are gifted in all these multifaceted different ways. There's there's this unity that drives us together, but there's diversity within that unity. And it's as a result of the measure of Christ's gifts. And then in verse 11, then we see, some of the gifts that he gives. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and so on. Uh, And I don't think Paul there is giving us an exhaustive list of every kind of gift. Like, here it is. Because what we find in in other uh, places where Paul is talking about gifts, sometimes he'll list these gifts, and sometimes he lists other gifts. And I, I think the point is not to, so we can compile. Every time Paul talks about gifts, well, he mentioned these. Let's just compile them all, and that's the exhaustive list of what kinds of gifts there are. I think there are all kinds of gifts maybe that Paul doesn't even directly talk about, but they, they, they are gifts that are given to us by, by Christ. They're for the service of the church. Notice, though, here, I, I think this is interesting. Before in verse 7, he's talking about grace that was given to individuals, and we know in other places that Paul talks about gifts given to individuals. So somebody might have the gift of teaching, and so that gift is given to that individual or somebody else might have the gift of hospitality or the gift of service. That gift is given by Christ to that individual. But do you notice he kind of shifts and I think he's making a slightly different point in verse 11. Do you see this? Because he's not saying that he gave to some people the gift of being apostles. Look what he says in verse 11. What did he give? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, And teachers, and he gave deacons, he gave Sunday school teachers. I think what we see in verse 11 is not that the gift is is something given to an individual, but in verse 11, the gift is the individual. They are given to the church. He gave to the church. Jesus is the giver. The gift is the individual, the church is the recipient of the gift. And so he's given to the church, he's given them apostles, he's given them prophets, he's given them evangelists, he's given them teachers, he's given them deacons. The the people themselves are the gifts given to the church. That's why I've been talking about that this morning. These men that we are ordaining this morning, they are gifts given to us from Christ our Savior. He ascended into heaven after the resurrection and he poured out gifts and he's pouring out gifts today. This is like Christmas morning for us at Union Baptist Church. These men are our gifts. I thought about putting a bow around each one of them, but we we decided I got all of them, but then Mike wasn't going for that. So then I decided, let's just go. I'm joking. But but these men are gifts that Christ has given. They themselves are, are the gifts. Now men, what I want you to see or church rather, uh, these are are gifts given to us, and we ought to celebrate that then. We ought to celebrate that. You know, if you just think back to the history that I recounted last week and last week's sermons, we talked about the church, and one of the things that I mentioned is that pastors often in those early days, uh, they would pastor three, four, five different churches because there weren't enough gifts. And so you might have a pastor one day a month, one Sunday out of the month, your pastor would show up, and then the next, next week he'd be in Owensboro, and the next week he'd be in Yelvington, and the next week he might be down in Lewisport. He would travel around. You would only have a pastor uh, one, one week uh, a month or something like that. There are other places in the world even now today uh, where, where uh, there are churches and, and believers there in certain countries that don't have any pastors and sometimes people step into that leadership role, but they're not gifted and they're not qualified. They haven't been trained to teach the word of God. There are people who are leading churches in places like Malawi where Josh, the missionary that we had a while back in Malawi, he's going there to train these people. Many of them have never been trained, but they're, they're trying to lead the church. They, they've got a heart and a passion to serve the Lord, but they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the skill and the training. So what an amazing thing when you think about history and you think about other places in this world and, and even churches here in America now that, that would love to have even just one good pastor or, or, or maybe two or three men who are willing to serve their church faithfully. God has blessed us now with three pastors and, and with five men who are willing to, to give up their life and they don't do this for money. They're not getting paid to do this right there. They're willing to show up and serve this body. What a blessing, what a gift that is from God. Men, you are here this morning. You're giving given as a gift to the church. That's uh, There's a purpose, what, what I want us to see. There's a purpose why God gave you. God had a purpose in, in giving these men. It's not so that Bobby can say, I'm deacon so-and-so from Union Baptist Church or or Vance could say, I'm preacher so-and-so. It's, it's not so they can get publicity or or a good name in the community. It's not so that we can have a a board of people who run the church. That's not the purpose. It's not so that we can have plenty of people on all of our committees. Uh, That's not why God has given these men as gifts to the church. Let's look back at the text. Do you see why he gave them? Verse number 12. Back up to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? Why? to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You're here to do a work. You don't receive this title as so that you have a title, so that you have a position, so that you get the honor and recognition that maybe you feel like you ought to give. You, you are given this title. You are set apart today for the purpose of serving, to, to edify and to build up, to minister to the body of Christ, to equip and, and build them up. Vance, you will equip and build up the body through the exercise of your gift and discipling the members of this church and teaching and counseling and encouraging and exhorting them with the word of God. Deacons, you, you will edify and build up the body through the exercising of your gift and the service of physical needs, the physical needs of this, this body. But notice, church, what we're not saying here is that these men are here to do all the work. These men are the men that we have elected to do our ministry for us. They're the ministry people. They're, they're the help. They go do all the ministry. We show up like we're showing up at a movie uh, uh, about five minutes before it starts or five minutes after it starts. And, uh, and then we split out and we're gone. Those are the ministry people that do the service. Notice what, what the, the purpose is to equip the saints. They're, they're here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Their job is to serve you so that you can be be prepared, so that you can be equipped to do the work of the ministry. If you're here this morning, you're a a member of Union Baptist Church, if you're a believer, you are a minister. You might not have thought of that before, but you are a minister of Jesus Christ. You are here to do the work of ministry. That's not for those people who have been ordained and elected and we've set them apart to do the ministry. You are here to do the ministry. They are here to help equip you and to prepare you so that you can do the work of ministry wherever God calls you to do that. What is the result of that? Because now we're coming full, full circle in these last verses in verse 13, the result of God Christ giving these gifts to the church so that they can then equip and build up the church so that the church can do the work of ministry. The result of that is in verse 13. Verse number 13, where it says this, Until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking in the truth, the truth in love, we are to grow up. In every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. What is the goal of all of this that we're doing today? It is so that the body will be unified, that it will be brought together as we all mature in Christ. That's the goal. That's the aim. These men are serving to equip you to do the work of ministry, to serve each other in in the body of Christ, to serve one another as all of us are ministers, serving one another so so that the whole church is growing up and maturing. And as we grow up and as we mature in the faith, what happens? Unity comes because we're all starting to look like Christ. We're all growing up into the head who is Christ. And as you look like Jesus, and as you live like Jesus, and as I look like Jesus and live like Jesus, we become unified. That's the end goal of all of this. Well, that's our vision, isn't it? That's our vision. We exist to glorify God by growing disciples. These men are serving in different roles. They're stepping into different roles within the church, but the aim of every one of them ought to be, and the aim of every one of us ought to be to help this body grow. You see, the the body is a a self-growing organism. God God has placed within this body everything that we need to help us grow. And when every part is working right, do you see that? At the end of verse 16, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. When these men serve as a deacon, as God has called them to do, and they do that faithfully, it makes the body grow. When Vance faithfully preaches the word of God, it makes the body grow grow. That's the the vision. Two offices, but one vision to grow disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me just close, almost close this morning. Let let me do this by just giving some, I want to shift now and, and just direct my words to these men for a minute and give them some encouragement. Deacons, you are called this morning to serve this church and to aid in its mission by, by, by meeting the physical needs of the body. That's Acts 6 that was read earlier. We, we see that, that division was coming up because these physical needs were not met. You serve a vital role. As we talk about being unified, uh, the deacons are one of the purposes of, of the deacons is to meet those needs so that the body can be unified. Because when, when needs are not being met, when, when, when widows are, are not being visited, when things within the, the life of the church, the, the church building are, are falling apart, there's, there's disunity. Your job as you serve in this church will bring unity. And so serve faithfully. And let me just encourage you to guard yourselves from bitterness because people will come to tend to expect that old, old, old deacon gainer, he ought to just take care of that. He's the deacon, right? And they expect you to just serve and to do this. And many times it's a thankless job. But let me encourage you with a few things here. First of all, your service may not be recognized by everybody. It may not be recognized by anybody on this earth, but it will not be forgotten. Jesus said that if we give even a cup of cold water in his name, it will be remembered on that judgment day. Your your service will not be forgotten for the Lord, even if everyone else forgets or no one else recognizes. And. Another thing that I would say is you have the, the opportunity for greatness in the kingdom of God. You know that Jesus said the greatest servant will be the one who's greatest in the kingdom. So you have this great opportunity because you're not in a visible role. You're not out front. Everybody doesn't see all the things that you're doing. But, but what a great thing because you, you, are, you are making yourself great in the kingdom of God. The, the servant of all will be the, the, the greatest in the kingdom of God. This is why Paul says in 1 Timothy three thirteen, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. And then remember again, back to our vision statement, that you ultimately exist for the glory of God. Anyway, so if you're doing it for your own glory, you're in the wrong place, and you're doing you you don't have the right motives. You're you're here for the glory of God. So as you serve, uh, you, you know I heard it said the the other day, you know the test of being a servant is how you respond when people treat you like a servant. And uh, I think that's true. And And your motives will be put to the test as you serve and nobody rec- recognizes it. Nobody gives thanks. Uh, that will be the test of whether you're really doing it for God's glory or for your own glory. But we all exist. All that we do is for the glory of God. Vance, let me turn to you now and just encourage you that you must guard yourself i'm so thankful for you you must guard yourself from ineffectiveness in ministry you are young timothy was was young i'm not that far ahead of you i'm young myself some people are like you you ain't too old yourself yeah I, i'm not i'm not but listen to the words of the apostle paul to to timothy in first timothy four eleven. he says this command and teach these things let no one despise you for your youth For so, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you see here, he says, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. And that's not saying there, demand respect that you feel that you're owed. What's that, that, that is actually saying is live in such a way that nobody can bring a charge to you because you're young. No, nobody can say, oh yeah, that's Vance, he's just young. Right, right. They, they should be able to see an example, uh, 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 an exemplary conduct in speech and, and love and faith and impurity. Don't let them disrespect you because you're young. Don't let anyone despise you by, by doing anything that, that proves that you're too young for this role. Let no one despise you for your youth. In another place, Paul told Timothy so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. F- flee youthful passions. Men have destroyed their lives. They have destroyed the ministry that God has given them. They have greatly hampered the faith of many people because they have not fled youthful passions. Man, you've got to be faithful to do that. But in that passage, it's not just talking about sexual immorality or lust. It's more than that because Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 2.23 in that same passage, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, certainly there are lusts that that are, are youthful passions. But here, Paul seems even more particularly be, to be talking about a quarrelsome, a quarrelsomeness that can come as, as, with youth. There's there's a desire to debate everything and to and, and, and to be quarrelsome in that way. You've got to flee that youthful passion. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Remember, he's the master. We've got to. We've got to represent him well. And he doesn't want us going around getting into scrapes and getting into fights all the time. Every, Every argument, every fight is not a fight that you need to enter into in your role as a pastor. Notice, though, sometimes there is a need. Paul says to exhort and to rebuke. There is a need for that. But notice he says there's a way that you do that. Patient teaching, gentle correcting. Our goal is not to just win arguments. Our goal is to draw the sheep back to Christ. And, and it says God may grant them to repentance. And so we want to speak to them in a way that wins them back, not in a way that pushes them away. Let me say one more thing, and that is this. Vance, you just got to faithfully, this is I think the number one thing, faithfully administer the word of God. Preach the word. Don't preach yourself. Don't preach opinions that you have. Preach the word of God. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ. Preach Christ and you won't go far. You may not have a large following. You may not be successful in the world's eyes, but if you stay faithful to preach Christ, you will hear from him on that day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Preach the word. Even when nobody wants to hear the word, Paul told Timothy again in 2 Timothy 4, 1, he said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge, uh, the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his coming, preach the word. In other words, there's a judgment coming Jesus is going to return and we're all going to give an account how we've served. You've taken on yourself a greater responsibility and with that greater responsibility comes greater accountability. You are to be faithful to preach the word and you will give an account for how you do that on that day of judgment. So, so be faithful. I charge you as, as Paul charged Timothy, preach the word of God. And he goes on to say, be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching be instant in season and out of season that means there's sometimes that certain things in scripture are not popular preach the word anyway even when it's not popular when it's out of season to believe what god says in his word preach it anyway do it with with faithfulness but do it gently do it do it do it with grace but preach the word of God in season and out of season. I'll leave you with this charge. Preach the word. If you do that, you will on that that day hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant.